Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be giving the final draft workout list. And I'm also going to finally tap into that top 10. We're going to be going through prospects 10 through 6 on my big board. But first, before I go into that, I want to let you all know about the Basketball Podcast Network. The Basketball Podcast Network brings you, the listener, top-of-the-line coverage for 26 different franchises around the NBA, with myself included as your host for the Oklahoma City Thunder. You guys can check out this podcast along with all the other podcasts, checking out their website, thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com, or you can check out their Twitter page, at HoopsPodNet. But now, going into the final draft workout list, there are a lot of prospects going in and out of different franchises, working out once, twice, three times, I haven't seen that, but people are going in and out. There's a lot of different people who have stepped into the Thunder practice facility in the past month. But with that being said, some of these players, they are told by their agent or on their own, they might just decide not to publicize where they have been working out. So you always need to take this list with a little bit of a grain of salt. We only know the people who want to make things public, you know, and there are speculations surrounding some prospects, but there is no cold, hard evidence from the source or from the franchise that would 100% clarify that they step foot into Thunderground. So we're only going to go after confirmed cases here, and there is a huge list to tackle. This is from Instagram, Twitter. A lot of it comes from Locked On Thunder host Ryland Styles. He's amazing at digging up some of these prospects. So huge shout out to him. But if you guys have been listening about two, three weeks ago, I did talk about this list. I'm going to run through it, but there's a lot more people who have been added. And first off, first thing we found out about was Jalen Johnson out of Duke, 6'8", 215-pound forward. As we know, I had him earlier on in the big board series, but this is a point forward who's pretty raw everywhere else. So you're going to expect this guy to get drafted anywhere from pick 10 to pick 20, maybe even 9 at the Sacramento Kings because that is where I had him mocked. But he can do a little bit of everything. One issue with him is both in high school and in college, he opted out early. And in high school, I believe it was maybe due to injury reasons or wanting to get to the collegiate level. And now with Duke, you know, he didn't really go into big terms as to why he left so early. But there is this sort of concern surrounding that. And we're going to figure out on Thursday night if that concern is just something that's been picked up by the media or if there is any substance to it. Because what he has shown as a player, the all-around game, the athleticism, the ball handling could make him subject to a top 10 pick in this draft class, given the potential alone. But if people aren't bought into it, if they think, you know, he did have a couple of okay games, but he's still very raw, there's going to be maybe some issues with him more as a person as opposed to anything else, just personalities maybe clashing. So I don't have a range for Jalen Johnson, but that's about where he has been out. I'd say mid to late lottery. Right after that, we have Keon Johnson out of Tennessee, high flyer, we all know this story with him. You know, he has the hops, three-point shot, needs some work. He might be talked about in today's episode, just a little bit later on. But yeah, he went out and he's been kind of all over the place. He could get picked really anywhere across the lottery and potentially even fall out of it. 
After that, though, we have Isaiah Todd from the G League Ignite. I had him as a major riser on my big board. You guys, if you have not already listened to it, you guys can listen around to the pods I've done past uh, three, four days. You'll find Isaiah Todd there, but man, his offensive skill set is ridiculous. And if he actually falls to the second round, like people are suggesting, someone's going to get a home run with Isaiah Todd, and hopefully that is in the Oklahoma City Thunder. After that, though, you got Sandro Mamukilashvili out of Seton Hall. Six foot ten, stretch five. Was really impressive in the NBA Combine, uh, and that's kind of how he's garnered so much attention thus far. But he's going to be able to stretch the floor, and he did an excellent job when questioned by some franchises. I know in one sit down interview in particular, he actually noted, you know, in the limited minutes that I will be playing. Uh, you know, so he knows his role. He's going to be a bench guy that you plug in. He's already 22 years old, so he's rather seasoned, but he still should be a positive impact player regardless of where he's going to land in the draft. When you want to look at where he could fall in this class, I'd probably say mid-second round. He's definitely a top 60 player in the class, but yeah, I'd probably go solid second round, maybe in late round flyer that you'd want to take him on. But yeah, he could be a role player in this league and he's not this potential filled guy, but he's going to get the job done. And it seems like he has crushed it in interviews. So it'll be interesting to see where he falls around in the pecking order. Next up, we have Austin Reeves coming out of Oklahoma of the Southeastern Conference. Are you kidding me, by the way, on that? That's ridiculous. But no, seriously, you have Austin Reeves out of OU, six foot five senior. He's already 23 years old. He's someone who is supposed to be brought in right away and be a three-point torch. He did it with OU, shooting from 30 feet deep. And even though the numbers suggest, you know, he wasn't the craziest shooter, people believe at the next level he will be able to replicate some success from downtown. And you won't you won't see the games where he's super inconsistent. You look at him as a guy, you just plug in, sit him in a quarter uh, in the corner, and he should be able to contribute for you. So for OU fans, you'd love to have Austin Reeves, and the Thunder have pick 55. Whether they want to go that far down to six picks to take a guy like Austin Reeves. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but maybe you could pick him up, plop him in the G League. I don't know if he's worthy of a two-way contract given the age, but I will rephrase that. He definitely is worthy. Just due to the age, though, it might be a little bit of a scheduling conflict with the Thunder. Next up, though, you have Sharif Cooper out of Auburn, six foot one. He's been reported six foot three, though, as well. 165 pounds, and he just turned 20 years old. But he's kind of this mid to late uh, projected guy. He has slid up, and I talked really highly of him in yesterday's episode, but he is lightning fast, and the way he's able to survey the court while he's running downhill is really unparalleled, especially for someone that's not going to be picked in the top 10. He just has to be able to figure out his jumper. He did have decent numbers with the Tigers, but even with that, people are still questioning whether he's going to seamlessly slide over to the NBA level. So that's really his only hitch. Outside of that, he has a lot of potential, and he could be used around that 16 to 18 area. Next up, though, we have Trey Murphy the third. I also talked about him in yesterday's episode. I love the guy. I think from the offensive perspective, he's going to shoot the lights out of the gym. I mean, he's shooting 44% from Virginia. That's a pretty damn good system you're in, so you need to take a look at that. But that lets you know he's going to be able to move over to the NBA ranks, and he will still shoot. Very fluid release, shot 93% from the foul line. 
and he was able to be a very good passer uh, on the offensive side when it came to half court offense. On defense, lengthy at six foot eight, six foot nine, got those arms in there. He's able to take almost one through five, so he is very crafty. He's able to get skinny on the screens, so he can really help out any defense, and he can help out on offense. Very interesting prospect there. After that, though, you have Jordan Hall out of St. Joe's. He actually pulled out of this draft class, but he is kind of worth looking at for next year. Did a little bit of everything in his freshman year with St. Joseph's, but like I said, he's not in the mix for this. If he would have been in here, he would have been a second round project, but looks like he's going to try to bolster up his stock for the 2022 draft. Next, we have Amir Sims out of Clemson. He's a six foot nine power forward, small forward, even has played some center at times. He's 235 pounds and he is 22 years old. Don't know if he's going to get drafted or not, but I will say when you look at the tape of him, he's a lot better than an undrafted grade, at least in my book. I think if you put him in a G League team, he's going to put up some impressive numbers. I don't know where that projects though when it comes to playing in the NBA. Very good when it comes to scoring around the basket, but the best part about him at 6'9", he is a great passer and he's pretty bulky as well. He's not like a twig who looks like a point forward. This is a sturdy power forward who is making some nice, nice decorative passes, but he's also very technical, especially when it comes to getting rebounds. He'll box out on one end, stroll the other side, and then he can make those passes out. When you look at him as a free throw shooter, went from a 57% free throw shooter to now going above an 80% clip. So he's interesting. And then even from three, he shot 40%. Obviously, you're going to need to see a bit more of a sample size, specifically from downtown. But he's turned into an encouraging player. And I do think, you know, if the Blue have one of the higher picks in the G League draft, which they very well could, we're going to have to see how things shake out because... Some teams didn't even play in the Orlando bubble last year, so I don't know how the, the lottery will work or how, how they're going to do it, but if Amir Sims is on the board there, I'd love to take him. I don't know if he's really of um, of age for what the Thunder are going for, but he's definitely worth a look if he's not drafted on Thursday evening. Next, we have Matthew Hurt out of Duke, six foot nine forward. He's pretty much just a straight-up sharpshooter. When I look at the other assets uh, kind of of his game, I don't see a ton defensively. I think he's lacking. But you kind of plug him in as a three-point threat, and you go off of that. I see him as a mid-second rounder, but as of late, he's kind of been trending downwards. So we'll see what happens with Matthew. Next up, Joshua Primo out of Alabama. Youngest guy available in the draft class, and he has a really big range of where he could be selected. I've seen mid-first round, maybe even the teens, to him falling to the Thunder, not at 34, but at pick 36. He has a ball of potential, six foot six with a gangly wingspan, has that multi-positional defender type written all over him, but also as a shot creator, he's branched off and his numbers don't look amazing from Alabama. Gotta keep in mind, he was a freshman, he wasn't getting a ton of reps in there, so the percentages are low, but he did show decent face-up game, did show a pull-up jumper in there, and with the ball in his hands, he did a decent job orchestrating. What I've heard is in his pro days, he's actually knocked it out of the park, so 
I'd think that he gets some attraction in that first round. Maybe he slides to that second. That's what you hope for as a Thunder fan. Got Corey Kispert after that out of Gonzaga. He is a straight-up sharpshooter. You had Jalen Suggs running the point, but, you know, you had Corey Kispert. He was the guy in the uh, in the March Madness run for Gonzaga. But anyways, yeah, he's able to spot up off the dribble handoffs. He'll cook. You just have to put him in a good place from three, and he's going to yield some good results for you. He's seen as a lottery guy. Maybe he slides that mid first. And I think it's interesting the Thunder did want to work him out. He's 22 already. But I guess there is kind of that need for a strict shooter at the three because you have Bays, you have Poku. Dort's not a true three, really. So, you know, Bays and Poku, they still have a long way to go before being sound three point shooters, I'd say. They are rather inconsistent. Corey Kispert's not going to be that. So I guess that is kind of making sense out of the situation. Got Ayo Desumu after him out of Illinois. He's been in and out of the Thunder's training facility more than once, actually. So he has a big spotlight on him. That might be someone to keep your name on on Thursday. But six foot five combo guard, really good playmaking ability. Uh, from three, he did have a rather high percentage, but some people are kind of of the opinion that might drop when he joins the NBA ranks. As a defender, I think he's pretty solid. So he's good as a playmaker. Defense won't be the question. It's all about that three-pointer. And he's projected to be a first-round guy. I do think he could actually slide into that second round. And that's when things could really heat up between those two parties. Got Vrenz Blindberg after this out of Antwerp International. And if you're a Thunder fan, which you probably are, you know exactly who Vrenz is. And he is all over NBA Twitter, whether it's with the Knicks, whether it's with the Hawks, Thunder, he's going to be talking to you, and he has been on various different Thunder-related podcasts in the past couple of weeks. Great guy, great personality. He said whenever he got in from Belgium, 4th of July, he actually hadn't been to the U.S. before, and after his night at the hotel, Vit Kredge brought him in, kind of got him used to downtown and all that, and he got up and running in the workouts. He said he did a great job playing against first-round caliber players, and he's been talking about how people in mock drafts are going to be stunned because of where he gets selected. Maybe he is a first-round guy, and we don't know about it, but he fits the bill for a Thunder player. If you're 6'11", and you have ball handling skills, but you also shot 37% from downtown, you're going to have a target on your back, and I think friends might have that with OKC may have it with a lot of other people though because they might look at Vrenz and say he could be the next Poku we want to have that type of project on our roster and maybe he doesn't even get to the Thunder when they feel best suited for him but I think he's a mid first to an early second I really don't see a situation where he slides past 36 I think the Thunder would gladly take him if he's in that range but maybe he's even taken before that got EJ Onu after you got Vrenz, and EJ is a guy that would be amazing to snag at pick 55 out of Shawnee State of the NAIA. He's not playing in the NCAA level, but that doesn't mean he is not amazing. Shot blocking like crazy. Junior year, he was having like five, six blocks a game, about 4.5 in his senior year. Shot 40% from downtown as well, and he was great at rebounding, and he can get up there when he's around the basket. Obviously, NAIA isn't going to produce the seven footers you're going to see in the NBA, but 
you know, he's still got some tall bodies around him. There might be a bit of that wall he will need to go through just because he was 10 times bigger than his opponents. But I still think he's worth a shot. If you're going strictly off of potential, if EJ's there at 55, you're never going to find that value again there. So you take him and you don't even think twice about it, honestly. Chris Duarte, after EJ Onu, he can shoot about everywhere. He's 24 years old. I have covered him before. You got Trey Mann after 6'5". Step back jumper is really, really fluid with him. And I've also talked about him. I think I've talked about most of these guys, actually. But yeah, he's kind of that mid to late first. I had him going to the Nuggets, I believe, in my mock draft. But he does have a pretty intriguing ceiling because of the jumps he has made. Brandon Rochelle out of TU is next. He's probably going to go undrafted. He's kind of one of those blue pickups if um, Melvin Fraser Jr. doesn't stick around. Got Carlick Jones too, and he was amazing in the G League Combine. Had like a 21 or 23 point game. Actually punched him a ticket to the real deal Combine. I think he might be a flyer you see in the late second. Could go undrafted though, and I think the Thunder could use a guy like him. Pretty good passer, pretty good leader. Um, but, uh, but yeah, after him though, you got Jaden Springer, one of the other younger guys in this draft class, very well could have just graduated. And I also talked about him. He is a good finisher around the cup, but also the big deal with him is the defense he provided comes down to the weaknesses. Got to sure up from the shot. He was taking a lot of clumsy shots, but got to keep in mind. He's pretty young and Tennessee's system was a little bit iffy anyways. Scotty Barnes is after him. We know the deal with Scotty Barnes. I'm going to be talking about him in the next couple of days. Might just want to leave it at that. And I'm going to say the same with Jonathan Kuminga. Those two are very interesting, but they got brought in. There's kind of a fight between who people would rather take if they're both at pick number six. Don't think that's a possibility anymore though. Nashawn Bones Highland also has been brought in for a workout really crafty point guard mentioned him big deal is the limitless range he brings as well as the passing ability justin champagne out of pittsburgh got brought in 20 years old really just a shooter not much else so i don't know what you do with him but you do need shooting so you might want to take a glance i don't really know where you would take him maybe he's another guy you might want to put on like a two-way contract or something of that type. Ferron Hunt out of SNU or SMU is another person that you could see maybe as an undrafted player, but yeah, I don't think you actually utilize one of your draft selections with him. Niamaz Queda out of Utah State has been brought in. He's a big body center who could be there at pick 55, and I think there's a bit of interest. Truthfully, I haven't looked a ton into Queda myself, but I have heard really good things about him, especially as a shot blocker, I believe. Kai Jones, too. He's another center that has been taken under Presti's wing. Show him inside. He's actually shown himself at the Memorial, which I don't know is something every person who you know gets worked out goes through. I know that when you are drafted or you're part of the organization, you are taking a trip to the um, Oklahoma State bombing memorial site but yeah so he's one of those electric bigs out of Texas he'll put his head around the rim and he might even be able to shoot some face-up threes at the next level Moses Moody has been mentioned was talked about yesterday another guy that you look at as kind of a 
3 and D, but he also might tap into the mid-range as well. And Isaiah Jackson is going to round things out out of Kentucky. Another high flyer, pick and roll specialist. Should look at him around the middle of the first round. Next up, though, we're going to be hammering out the top 10 of the draft board. We're not going to be going through all 10 prospects in today's episode, but what we are going to be doing is we're going to be going from 10 to 6 in the class. And these are the guys who, if they're on the board here, potentially the Thunder could try to trade up and snag one of these guys, 16 and 18, could make a good package, or there could just be some shockers that might even be available at one of those two picks. But these are the guys I could talk about for 10, 15 minutes. I got to keep it concise for you all, but just look out for these people whenever they hit the NBA ranks. And we're going to start out with Keon Johnson out of Tennessee. Now, Keon Johnson is a guy who has actually been really high on my board for a long time. I remember whenever we were talking about what we we're going to do at pick number six, you know, Kuminga was the presumptive five pick post lottery. After that, though, you had Scotty Barnes and a bunch of nothing really, but even Scotty Barnes wasn't the clear cut person. I actually had Keon Johnson as the number six guy immediately after the lottery announcement, but that has kind of changed a little bit since we have gotten new rumors surrounding some other people. Not as much hype directed towards the volunteer alum, but he's still very good nonetheless. I think when you look past probably Kuminga, if he's taken at five, you're not going to find a higher ceiling, especially from a guard perspective, than you're going to find in Keon Johnson. He is so far ahead of a lot of these other prospects in terms of athleticism, defensive ability, and that's, you know, that's kind of where he excels at. But the big thing, he needs to work on the shooting. I do want to hammer out the jumping though. I mean, when you look at him, he's a vertical leaper and it's not just the actual leap itself. He's a fast guy when it comes to running across the court. He is a six foot four guy, so it's not like he's six six or a complete menace, but he is nimble and he picks up his acceleration so fast when he wants to take a leap, whether it's for a rebound, a dunk, or a chase down block. He's going to come flying in from your peripheral and the play is going to be over before you can even tell what happened. He broke a combine record this month when it came to the vertical leap, actually. 48 inch vertical leap. That is ridiculous. Right below him, I think he set the record by like half an inch. Guy below him who set it really was not in the NBA whatsoever. Below that, you had Hamadou Diallo. He's kind of around that area. And as we know, Hamadou Diallo... He's still making it around, and he has actually improved drastically over the past season. Detroit got a really good deal in getting him. I think when you look at Keon Johnson, though, kind of that worst-case scenario, at least in my eyes, is what Hamadou Diallo is right now, and that is an explosive guy. You could have probably off the bench. I don't know if you'd want to start Diallo. Um, I'd say actually a better defender than Hamadou Diallo is currently, but just a really high-flying guy who's going to want to take people one-on-one and truthfully no one else is going to stack up with him athletically so he's able to go in there get gritty pick up free throws or just get buckets right around the basket and you're kind of that Jordan Clarkson except instead of being a perimeter centric guy you're going to be going right towards people initiating the contact and reaping the benefits out of people 
even right now, Hamadou Diallo has gotten a little bit of a pull-up jumper game. Now, is his release funky? Is kind of the setup for it funky? Absolutely it is. I think Keon Johnson is a lot cleaner than that. But I'll tell you one thing. Hamadou Diallo has been left open from downtown for a very long time. And Keon Johnson wasn't hitting over a quarter of his threes last year. So he might get that same treatment. And he's really going to have to be able to develop as a three-point shooter to hit his real ceiling. And his ceiling is really all-star potential because... When you look at the athleticism that Keon does bring, it's dunk contest ready. It's Zach Levine time. Let me try to dunk from the foul line. And he probably can do that. There's probably a piece somewhere you could see. But one of the special parts about Keon is even without the momentum, just a one step or even no step, no setup necessary, he will go flying in for standing dunks. When you want to search up Keon Johnson's highlight reel, first thing, click the first video. First clip you're going to see is him getting right below the basket and springing up and posterizing somebody. Like a two-handed poster. Didn't have to run into it whatsoever. So that's huge, especially when you look at how he's going to be as a rebounder. And the energy he brings on that side of the floor is absolutely ridiculous anyways. So I'm very high on how he's going to do at the next level when it comes to kind of soaring up and collecting those rebounds but uh anyways yeah that's kind of how I look at him when you check out kind of some other facets I talked about how he's able to drive in even layup wise he is pretty damn acrobatic you need to look at the mid-range shot and the mid-range shot has a lot of potential kind of latched around it you look at him he loves to go into spin jumpers. He loves to pull up and has a very good technique in getting there. And since his speed is just so shifty, he will catch people and they're going to be trending backwards. They're going to be going backwards, backpedaling. Johnson is good at kind of recognizing that and he'll stop and pop shots. Now, he wasn't hitting all that much from the mid-range. He was better, uh, especially when you want to compare that to the three. But still, you do want to make it... A bit better from there. I think the mechanics from Keon are pretty damn solid, so I'd expect the shot to go up. One thing that is of note, though, is he shot 70% from the foul line over this year. My indicator that you always want to be tacking on and hitting is at 80%, so he's 10% off. That's pretty big when you want to take everything into account. I think he would be able to hit that target, but you need to put that real big emphasis on him as a shooter and this comes down to what environment he gets put into think if you put him in the thunders environment where they all of last year were used to people struggling from three he'd work out fine and on top of it all they're really young like they're they've got to be the youngest franchise in the league if not they're gonna be after this offseason they're gonna have those bumps and i think keon would be embraced at that point there are going to be games where he's not shooting that well from downtown, though. If he gets that three solidified, that three-level scoring becomes legitimate. And also, off the ball, he is an all-around threat because he was elusive. When you want to talk about alley-oop dunks, Keon Johnson could sky up there. But also, he was one of the best backdoor cutters, in my opinion, in my opinion, that you could even find at the collegiate level so he's already great attacking the basket i've made it known 
But that three-point shot would really add that next push that could make the pairing between himself and SGA really legitimate. And I don't know where you pick him. I don't think number six is where you'd go there. But you want to look at picks nine, picks ten, where there could be a trade-up option. I think going for Keon Johnson would actually make some sense because the ceiling is insane. If I'm going based off a of ceiling, I probably don't rank Keon Johnson at 10, but I do think, you know, he does have a decent floor where he's going to be hanging around the league, that superstar potential. I think if he hits around that middle ground of it, he's still going to be very, very solid. It's just all about the three-point shot for him as to where he's going to go into the future. Defensively, pickpocket. He loved lurking around in passing lanes, which is one of my big key pointers you have to hit on the checklist. Then blocking. He could soar in for some rim protections, chase down blocks all over the place, and uh, that's another one of those things that makes me really excited to see what he is going to be able to do. The big deal, defense, you know, on ball, off ball, whatever the case. I love him off the ball. On the ball, he did show some really decent moments. I will say he did have those lapses, though, where people kind of ran around the floor and he didn't even know where his matchup was. So I think he would sure that up just with some time. I think he's very good to start out this top 10, though. And after him, I got Alperin Sengun out of Turkey. And he has maybe the most mystique around him compared to everybody else. And there's polarizing views. This is a person you look at in the same category as like the Drogen Benders where people will take him at four and he just fizzles out. But I think that's kind of false. I really love what I've seen out of Sangoon. One of the younger people in the draft class. Now, I think he's 19, though he may still be 18, actually. I think he is 18. Yeah, but this is a big man who in Turkey was playing really damn well. His averages were off the charts. Average 19 points per game had 9.4 rebounds on the defensive end, had 1.7 blocks and 1.3 steals, and also as a passer, he averaged 2.5 assists, which is pretty damn well, especially when you look at how he only averaged 28 minutes a game. So he was one of the more, you know, astute guys that you could find it overseas this year, and then you take into account he's still young and... I guess he's turning 19 on like draft day or really close to it. So technically he would be 18, but um, yeah, I mean, he's one of the younger people, especially at that five spot, but for the game he shows, it's very uh, intriguing as to how he's going to work. Now, the big thing that needs to be stated is Alperin Sengun's major hole is he's not able to shoot the basketball right now. He is as raw as it's going to get. He shot 19% from three this past season and he didn't really shoot it that much, so that's kind of one of those things where you brush it off, those attempts were nothing more than just whatevers, uh, but he did shoot 81% from the foul line, even with that said though, he was very hesitant when he wanted to take shots, and he was pretty damn awkward when he wanted to go into those as well, so he's not a shooter right now, but that 81% hit rate from the foul line, does make some people believe that Alperin Sengun can actually turn into a face-up player, which is going to be significant in terms of his development. He's going to be a decent role man from the get-go. He's six foot ten, and he's pretty skinny at the moment. He's only 240, so he can roam and rim run, like I mentioned. 
the big thing that you're going to get out of him though is that ability to finish right around the basket so he can take you know a lot of contact when he's driving in but also he's kind of a back-to-basket big and you don't find these guys all that often uh anymore i think the new style is you got to have a five that can shoot really proficiently from outside and sengun doesn't do that but he's better than your typical center right now when it comes to scoring around the basket and it's accounted by his footwork you're not going to be able to predict what sengun will pull out of his bag whether it's a euro step hop step he wants to spin around you he'll do it and yeah i mean for a center right now who's a teenager still that gives you a lot of hope there's not a lot of draft prospects that come in with that kind of skill set already so he's already really decorative on his resume when it comes to scoring like inside three feet and that's what he's kind of gonna have to work around right now also the pick and rolls the high ball screens slashing in is going to be a positive but outside of that it's going to be rough now one good part is second chance points will come naturally to him i think he's still pretty good at getting the rebounds but he is a little undersized so that's one deal i do think the second chances are are there he just needs to work on the untapped potential that he does have shooting because it wasn't like he was pressured to shoot the basketball uh, over the past season because he was good enough in the league just to be shooting from inside of three feet now when you look at him you're gonna look at his on-ball potential because of his athleticism he might be able to defend multiple positions and right now it's weird because he's undersized as that true center but also if he's going against those other big body centers he still looks relatively skinny would he get pushed around and if that's the case what's the next step for Alperin Sangoon because if he can already guard the five you keep that body type and you keep on pushing because then you get to defending the fours the threes there's a lot of options that kind of come onto the table when you look at Alperin Sangoon but you do need to look at his potential lateral quickness when you want to look at that so i don't know if we're going to see him guarding multiple positions i don't know if you're going to see him stepping out to the perimeter but the hope is he's going to be able to be that traditional big but the kick on offense is the three if it grows there and how he's able to drive right in and almost play like a point guard at times that's wild some of the stuff that sengun was able to put on display at number eight i have davion mitchell out of baylor and he's been wavering when it comes to draft stock i mean when it comes to where he was i thought seven for the warriors was almost a done deal but i think now the script has kind of changed to where i think the warriors are just just going to go after what they believe is the best trade piece maybe even trade out and with davion mitchell not being one of those premier 18 19 year olds in the class he's 22 right now that might be a turnoff for some so he might slide i still think he does have some top 10 value in this draft class with the bears last season he averaged 14 points 2.7 rebounds and five and a half assists big thing is shooting the basketball and he shot 45 percent from three i think that's why he'd fit with the warriors a lot of people could use a guy that was shooting 45 percent from outside from the foul line though is a bit interesting separate stories you have here 
he shot 64% from the foul line, and I'm not even misreading that. That is very weird, uh, to be quite honest. So the disparity is something that you would like to make note of, but I think outside of that, there's not a lot of holes in his game, and that is why you look at him and say, there's some potential here, because before this, he wasn't even on the map. In his sophomore season, averaged 10 points a game, numbers weren't that beautiful, and freshman year, because he did have a red shirt in between, actually, he only averaged 3.7 points, so he kind of broke out of his shell and was one of the main reasons as to why the Baylor Bears did end up winning the national championship, but you look at him and you see that the offensive game has a lot of levels to it already. As a passer with a five and a half assist, he was going right inside, looking to find people wide open. He was great at delivering some jump passes this year. And with what Baylor already had, they were so focused on having shooters around him and having those guys who could cut in. Davion Mitchell was amazing at finding both of those two. And it's not like one of those cruddy college systems where you don't really have much stuff that's going to work at the next level. And it's just clumsy, awkward offense where you're draining every second of the clock. The Baylor Bears didn't do that. They wanted to get the open shot and they wanted to take it. They wanted to pick you apart off the pass and they wanted to get you when driving and passing out. That's something that all 30 teams want to do and Davion Mitchell can already do that. So that's a big tick on playmaking. But as a shot creator, he has that first step to create the actual window. Now he's shorter. He's only six foot one, but he gets that quick first step, gets around you, and then he can pull up for the mid range. But he can also change direction and even try to get inside. He'll get you off balance. He'll make you stutter for a second. Then he's going to pop it. And he does it from the three point line as well. If he's going to be able to shoot above the 40% mark from three, He's going to be excellent right away for whatever team. And I think he is going to be one of the better immediate providers. I talked about Moses Moody yesterday as how I think when I look at him, he's a player who will make an impact right away. And I think he might plateau a bit. Davion Mitchell, he's already at a very high level. I don't know if he's going to be on the all rookie first team, but I think he's going to dominate in his role. So if he's a bench guy for a playoff contender like a Warriors team, he'd still be dropping double digits off the bench. If he gets picked up by maybe one of those lower caliber teams and they need him to play 30 minutes right away, he's going to be one of the you know brighter, brighter players there. Look at Donovan Mitchell and the impact he had in his first year with the Utah Jazz. Maybe that on a smaller level, but around like the 15 to 17 point mark, is not too crazy to imagine when you look at what Mitchell could bring uh, given the situation. So the three was excellent. The pull-up shot was great, but also finishing, he's really good. He doesn't have that, you know, dunking ability. He won't be posterizing anybody, of course, but maybe the layups will still hold up. He does want to go and create contact, which is a major, major part. When you look at the other parts, though, defensively, he's all over. He's very giddy, and that's what helps make up for the height because he's not tall. If he wants to play at the two, which is really where he projects right now, he needs to play like he's six foot five, and he does it. He doesn't have amazing wingspan either, which is another setback, but it doesn't make him completely fold. 
He wants to play defense. He wants to be right in front of you, and he's going to make it all, you know, he's going to make every single second a nightmare for you. Every single drop of energy will be put in for the most meaningless possession of a basketball game. You're up 30 points. He's still going to want to be involved in the defensive plays, and it's not just going to be on a strict position. He's going to want to switch around, and with the hands he has, the activity he brings, he's able to close the margin even against small forwards and point guards. Now, when you got a center, it's a completely different story, but he still is very pesky nonetheless. Even in the pick and roll, I do like him. You need to find those guys who are locked in when it comes to pick and roll defense, and Davion Mitchell will do that. Even off the ball, he's good at reading where the ball's going to move, and that helps him kind of blast into his stance if he wants to pick the ball and go into transition with things. So he's one of the more NBA-ready guys. I think that he will be an immediate impact. We're going to see it in Summer League. And then we're going to see him in the regular season making a really good effort for his next roster. Next up, we have a guy who is going to catch so... I'm going to catch so much flack for this, to be quite honest with you. And it comes in the form of Jalen Suggs out of Gonzaga. And here's the thing that I kind of pride myself on just a little bit when it comes to a board like this one. And there's always those consensus players right now. And there's those factions I've mentioned. You know, you have the top three. Then Suggs is going to be at four. Then Kuminga. Then Barnes. There's not much stuff you're going to see. There's not a lot of cracks. There's not a lot of hot takes. And that's because people simply don't want to go there. Because those are takes that might not look good. I think Jalen Suggs is going to be a really good player at the next level. And if he's going to be a strict point guard, I'd actually move him above where he is right now. I think he might get wedged into a situation like if he's with the Thunder, for example, if he has to play co-star with somebody, he's not going to be at his full potential. So I took that into account. Uh, I do like him though, but I just don't know if I'd put him in the same category as some of the other people that are in this draft class. So seven is still huge, especially with a draft class that I believe is better than the ones we've seen in the last three to four years. Depth-wise, it's stacked. I think the top is going to be really amazing, and so is Jalen Suggs. And when you look at him as a player, he's the most gifted passer in this class. That's what I'd go uh, right there. He was a pretty highly recruited football player. He was a quarterback, dual threat, he could scramble, but also he wasn't afraid to go in the pocket or even roll out and launch some 30, footy, 30 or 40 yard bombs, excuse me, but he wanted to make those firecracker plays and he made sure to do so when he was playing with Gonzaga. He would get the ball on one end and just heave the ball full court on a dime to a moving target, bounce pass, needle threader, doesn't matter, he'd put it in by a mere couple of inches and it'd be good to go his passing is going to be amazing for whatever team wants to bring him on and he's going to do it in a lot of different ways even alley-oops he's still good when you look at another thing with him it's not only the leadership but it's the mindset he has you look at him right now i think he's only he might be 19 19 or 20 years old he is a 19 year old right now he's a veteran i mean the way he assesses things and the way he's able to read the court 
And one of the deals with Gonzaga, just like it was with Baylor, is their system is so much more contingent on the three ball than some of the other teams you'll see. You'll see teams in college where they just want to run in the paint and they're going to attack you. They don't even look at threes. Gonzaga wants to shoot threes all the damn time. And Jalen Suggs was the perfect guy to dish the basketball around. So he knew where people were at all times. If he's in a half court system, if he's in the fast break, he sees all nine of the other players. And with that knowledge, he's going to make some very out of nowhere passes that are going to look spectacular, just like the full court heaves in the half court system. He'll do the driving distance just fine. If there's a pick and roll, he'll pass it to a guy you would have not even known was in camera view. That's just one of the things he does. So that's even more uh, to the point of how good he is as a passer. He averaged four and a half assists last year. Did have 2.9 turnovers, though. I will say, for the most part, those 2.9 turnovers did kind of come off of him trying to lodge in passes. So maybe he could be a bit smarter, but I like what he was doing, uh, kind of regardless. Another thing, though, was what he did off of screens. Good at getting layups, good at absorbing contact, but also he's good at kicking to his man on the roll or off the pop. He's able to read exactly where people are at and he'll hit him when he's slashing in. Pretty sneaky. He can actually fly up for some dunks, which will catch some people definitely off guard. Defense, he has upside to him. I don't know if I want to call him a defender guaranteed right now, but he was pretty disruptive, averaged 1.9 steals on the ball. He wanted to make life hell for people. He'd get extremely close. And for guys that typically, you know, were kind of really good with the basketball in their hands, they're not getting a lot of turnovers. Jalen Suggs would apply a lot of pressure. And he'd also try to go off the ball and snag catches. You know, he wanted to play on the other end, like free safety quarterback. He wanted to try to lurk. And that was good, but it was also bad because a lot of the times he'd go for it and he'd be a bit too ambitious. And then you'd have a four on five where, you know, there'd be points going in the opposite direction. think he needs a tighter handle though. And it's one of those deals. Like he's a great passer. The handle's all right. But I don't know if he's going to kill you one-on-one exactly. Off the dribble, he's above average, but he's not like star caliber right now and some of the times too the turnovers did come off of a little bit of a lazy handle I do like his moving crossover but you know once he kind of goes off of that if he's not able to get right around you uh he's gonna get cornered and that's where even though he knows where everybody is he's not gonna be able to make the perfect pass if you know what I mean so I think the expanded floor will help him but I do think a bit more dribble combinations would make it a long way with Jalen Suggs. Shot creating could also be something that you would want to see improve just a little bit with him. Um, But yeah, I mean, he doesn't have that go-to. I think Jalen Green is the perfect example of what a shot creator could look like. He will kill you off the step back. Jalen Suggs really does not have that. Jalen Green's super quick on the drive. He'll stop. He's going to pop. Jalen Suggs doesn't do that. He has a really beautiful mid-range game where he'll actually get to the baseline and pull up, and even with a contest, it's going to fall for him. But 
I don't know if that's something I'm going to say will be it for him. I think there's a little bit more that could be untapped when you look at um, Jalen Suggs. And also, I think just shooting in general. He was pretty inconsistent when it came down to things. Shot 33.7% from downtown last year. Shot three and a half attempts, so I think that is a pretty clean sample size. But he was just so flaky. I mean, he had a 7 of 10 game against Iowa, won the first games of the season. He looked amazing. Very next couple of games, actually nine games, he shot 6 of 29 from three, and people will leave him open. That's 20.7%. That's exactly what he was doing. So he needs to work. Jumper could be a bit faster, but you got to solidify yourself. And I think that he's one of those players where Really, all he needs is that catch-and-shoot shot, and you're looking at him as one of those borderline all-star candidates already, but if there's not that created catch-and-shoot, and if he can't create for himself, that's when you think more of one of those premier bench guys or a, a pretty average starter, so I think the floor with Jalen Suggs is super high. Like Regardless of what you're doing with Suggs, he's going to be a very good player for you, and that's something that I think people will really love about him. Um, but, you know, the star potential, it's not a done deal like it could be said with maybe some above him. The comparison that I've always had is like an elite passing Marcus Smart. And that's a very good player. That's a player who's going to be playing now. I guess he's been around since, what, 2014? He'll, he'll be around the league for like 10 years. Easy. Because the defense is there. He wants to get right up in your face on the other side. You know, with Oklahoma State particularly, he was a high flyer. You don't see it a ton with Boston. But also, he's a guy who can turn up and drop 20 points almost on his own some games. But you're not going to see it every time with him. Most of the time, what you will find is he'll kind of hide away and he'll take some threes, he'll take some middies, and he can still attack. Marcus Smart has the three levels, but you don't see it all the time. I think Jalen Suggs will be like that, but... He's going to be a very good passer. He's going to be one of the top passers probably in the league in five years just because of what he's able to do in the half court. Also in the fast break, he does spot out people pretty damn well. So he's great. And you get the shot creating, you get that three going. He's one of the better guys you're going to find in this draft class. So pick number seven, that is still very elite, especially when I was given those you know pretty big praise to guys like Mitchell and such. I like Jalen Suggs. I just think that, you know, there is a bit less of, or there is a bit more of a idea that he doesn't hit exactly uh, on his target, but it's still a very good one. I think when you look at the levels to this draft, it's kind of been created and it's almost arbitrary. Um, these lines we've drawn between Barnes, Kuminga, all these different people, I think they can be broken. And I think the gap between seven and probably four are extremely thin. So don't look at this and think like I'm calling him trash. I think he's almost as good as who you're going to find at four, but I just have a preference to some of the other guys that you will find. And the next guy I have is James Booknight out of Yukon, 6'5", 20 years old. I've talked about Booknight. <laughs> um, I talked about him like specifically a couple days ago, and I pretty much hammered out exactly what he is as a player. I mean, he's a guy who with UConn last year, shot below 30% from three. What is kind of important though, and I didn't leave it out, is he had a surgery 
uh, kind of in that middle of the season beforehand, he was shooting 35% from distance. That's what he was doing in the year prior. So he was already a, a pretty solid three-point shooter. And people see him as a really good shot creator. They think he has all-star potential creating for himself. And I think he will be a three-level scorer. I think he's going to be a guy who will be dropping, you know, 16, 18, probably even 20 points for you. I don't necessarily know about like the 25s though. He's not extremely quick. He doesn't have the elite quick first step. I think everything has to kind of be created a bit for him, but in the isolation, he is actually a lot better than what it would appear like because he does have a decent set of dribble moves. When it comes to driving in, he will even attack you to the point of posterization, but the layups are still good especially when it comes to reverses, up and unders. He's pretty fluid. The thing is, though, is a three. And catch and shoot, you know, it was, eh. I mean, it wasn't amazing or anything, but I think he would stay afloat there. When it comes to shooting off the dribble, that's the big skill you're going to find with James Booknight. And then also, defensively, he's going to hold up pretty well there. So he has a lot of those tools but you look at him as that iso threat someone you stick in at the two who is going to complement your primary point guard beautifully he's not going to take the ball away to the point of there being issues he's going to make the other half a lot better and he's not going to be taking away much reps but what he will do is he's going to alleviate the pressure to where if someone's not feeling well he can try to take over those games and he'll take possession after possession one-on-one he wasn't the greatest passer there were some turnover issues i will say yukon wasn't like insane this year there wasn't a lot of support to back up james book night so he was getting like the Cade cunningham treatment believe it or not, but yeah, I I like him, um, and what he does scoring-wise, also defensively, he does have some decent lateral quickness, so you do check him and think he will be able to play against guards at least, I don't know about forwards though, so that's a bit more of one of those question marks, I guess, that you would want to point out, but yeah, uh, he could be streaky, But there's still going to be those games where he's going to be going off. And I think that's enough of a reason to put him this high. Because when you're looking at teams that need people who can score, there's a lot of them. People who need some all-star caliber shooting guards. James Booknight is there. And I don't know if he ever breaks that mark. Because there are a lot of high-scoring guards that you find in the NBA that never get the accolade of an all-star. I think he's kind of one of those borderline all-stars, but you look at him and you think, how the hell does this guy not have an all-star? So he's going to be good uh, at the next level. No two ways about it. Could be some injuries. He does have a history, though. Tore his his meniscus in high school and then also had an injury, like I said, in college. I don't know why I kind of got choked up there. It's been 55 minutes of me talking, so maybe that might have a little bit of something to do with it. But that's going to wrap it up. I got from 10 to 6 today. Tomorrow, we're going to be getting the heavy hitters out of the way. We're completing the six-day big board I have, and then I might even make a solely Thunder-based one afterwards because this is more of one of those where I just have all these different elements tacked on. If it was a Thunder-based, just get all the young guys right in there. That's probably what I'd want to do. Boom or bust, go big or go home. But other than that though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. 
I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.